0: everybody and welcome to the fundamentalists podcast uh i hope you're doing well my name is elliot morgan i'm here with peter rollins and we have a very special episode for you today i know a lot of you guys come to us because you want advice on how to go through life you want to know how to become your fullest uh self-actualized entity and we of course are here to help you do that and so today's episode is all on self-help but before we get started pete how are you i'm doing good sir i'm doing well how are you doing i'm doing pretty good have you ever heard of a book called introduction to christianity by paul hassert
1: oh yes i have yes um our Hessert, uh he that he wrote a really good book called christ in the end of meaning which is very hard to get it's absolutely brilliant and so I bought. I think that's the only other book he ever wrote was the one you just mentioned, and I didn't think anything of it at all. But so yeah, okay. so I don't even know if it was so different that I didn't even know if it was the same person who wrote it. But yeah, so I have wow. heard of that book. Why is that one of the ones, sadly, that is no more? Because mm, I don't mind. You
0: don't have it anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gone. If, and I I liked I liked the introduction to Christianity back when it was called the Bible.
1: <laughs> very good Yeah, you can't take a fundamentalist out of a boy eh? <laughs>
0: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. yeah um uh, what were you saying you had something probably of substance to oh,
1: say i was just going to say as long as it wasn't this other one christ in the end of meaning that was gone then i'm okay
0: okay i think we're okay right now um yeah some, yeah hyper objects Anyway, um, that's another one you lost. Hyper objects? Yeah, that's okay. Is that... That's fine. Okay, that's great. fine. That
1: sounds like a object-oriented ontology or something. I d- yeah, fine. That's fine.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Um, you just made all those words up, and that's okay. So here <laughs> is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go into some self-help tips that are very popular. I have asked a uh, language learning model uh, about just popular self-help tips, and I'm going to go through them and um, – in case there's the, the the kind of like running joke here is that Pete is not a fan of self-help. I take, I would say, I, I, I'm not, I'm putting words in your mouth. And then I would say I'm more like, I think it. it's all lovely. Yeah, I think it's all great. And um, I live my life in a constant state of self-help. And so at some point, Pete's probably going to say, <clears throat> since we're doing the drinking game, uh, folks, I'm going to bet that Pete says something about going from A to B. <laughs> and that's and every time he says that i forget what the uh what the rest is but well, i know that you're going to say a. something a bit. <laughs> a is not a right right that's really fun all right so you are understand you ready that you
1: understand everything oh yeah I, well i want to hear per- what chat gbt said but i also want to hear what you say i want to hear the self-help that you live by that's worked for you, yep. so I can de- take that apart and mock you. So yeah, you know, move between them if you want, you know. But start with chat if you need to.
0: Um, I will start with chat because it's honestly there's. How about I'll do the one that's chat and the overlap between me and the the Chat GPT. So the, this one. Oh yeah, one is, I want to
1: hear what you think. Yeah, what do you think of chat's advice? Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is the pinnacle right here. This is the one that I think people most go to. Practice mindfulness, cultivate awareness of the present moment to reduce stress and improve mental well-being. Isn't that a nice piece of advice, Pete? And who on earth would have a problem with it?
1: That, I mean, that is beautiful. That's a great piece of advice. But I'm going to be, without being a broken record, here's what I think is, (laughs) that's a great piece of advice, right? That is easy to find. You don't need to buy a book on that. You don't need to go to university. You know, the idea of cultivating gratitude or mindfulness or awareness, going out for a walk and, and appreciating being, all of that is, it's easy to say. For me, always the issue is why can we not do it? That's the issue. The, the issue is, and I, like I'm about to run a retreat and I used, I used to, years ago, do a retreat where I help people who wanted to write a book who wanted to start a podcast, I would give advice about how to be a public speaker, do all of that stuff. But as I went along in that journey, I came to appreciate that most of that stuff, you can just look up and find out in five minutes, how to start a podcast, how to be a better speaker. The issue is, why do you, whoever the you is, why do you find it hard to cultivate mindfulness? Why do you find it hard to write when you want to write? Why do you find it hard to, to appreciate you know, the, this, your surroundings? That's, that's my issue.
0: I was, um, it reminds me of a talk I was listening to by my, my boy James Hillman, and he was talking about the um, going to therapy and you get stuck in traffic and you get all pissed off at the traffic. And then you go into therapy and you walk out with an idea about like your mother complex or the bad thing that your dad said to you when you were a kid and you never address the actual issues, which is that you as a citizen are annoyed by the traffic because there is a problem that you, there's the traffic jam is an actual political problem that needs addressing. And we end up just going and escaping into these theories, these psychological theories, rather than addressing the actual issue. And we, we, we interpret it until there's nothing left of it. Yes.
1: Okay. Well, that's interesting, because here I had an example of this the other day, because I've gone back and do psychoanalysis. I I I did psychoanalysis years ago for a couple of years, and I'm doing a little bit of analysis at the moment. And I forgot to talk to my analyst last week. I was having a bath. I was sitting there, and she called, and I was like, oh, crap. I forgot. I, I signed in. and
0: Oh, this is classic.
1: Classic. So the question is, to what extent was that just forgetfulness? To what extent was I just my mind and other things? To what extent um, was that a, a deliberate forgetfulness? Um, and it's it's really hard to it's not easy to answer that. So with that person who's late, well, to what extent were they? Are they always late for things uh, if they're always on time for things, but they're on late for their therapy? Does that mean that's different? Uh, it was the traffic particularly bad or did they leave later than was wise? And is that a common thing for them to do? So, so for me, I, um, I generally don't forget meetings. Like I hard, I don't know if I can remember the last time I did something like that. So really annoyingly, although I wanted to say to my analyst, it was just purely forgetfulness. I have to then admit to myself, Oh, uh, it probably there's something to it. There is something to it. So with, with that, Hillman, it, it's very true. Is there's practical issues like if you cannot pay your rent, that's not because of some psychological issue necessarily. Um, there's practical political issues in the world, but also we are in, interwoven psychologically into those things, and they're very hard to pull apart. So yeah, what do you think of that as a starting that's point?
0: That's nice. I like- I just can't stop picturing you in a bath. I think it's a charming uh, image, and I think that it's lovely that you that you genuinely enjoy baths so much. I think that's great, and I think that is the irony of that being kind of a mindfulness thing of being um, you're literally doing a self help thing as you're saying like <laughs> it's not. That is embarrassing. Uh, that's great. Actually,
1: i I'm, I'm I'm not embarrassed because. Yeah, guys don't have baths, that's right.
0: It's a well I was just un- imagining you like thing. splishing splishing around <laughs> and, and be like Ah da 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 you have a little ducky.
1: I'm just gonna treat myself. <laughs> I'm gonna
0: you have a little, have some yeah. bubble baths. <laughs> you have a little Chardonnay <laughs>
1: I do not often have baths. I do not. There's probably a psychoanalytic reason why I choose to have a bath rather than talk to my psychoanalyst. You see, that's interesting. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, immersion, and you do. I like to think that you have an iPad and on the little tray, and you're watching uh, Real Housewives (laughs) of um, Salt Lake City or whatever. But yeah, great stuff. Um, Uh, I agree. Can I give an example of
1: this? Can I? Yeah, an an example of this would be um, if if you're if you're on your own late at night and you hear something outside and you go i think there's an intruder that's right kind of normal if you find yourself always thinking there's an intruder late at night and interpreting the smallest creak as somebody being next door there's a there's basically what's happened is something internal has hitched a ride on that noise and that creak and the problem is so often it's somewhere in the middle you know it's like it's very clear that if it happens once you don't have to that's not a symptom uh but it's also and it's also very clear that if it happens every time you're alone it is a symptom uh yeah and then there's there's maybe a little uh, fluffy bit in the middle but that's why everything's open to interpretation which doesn't mean that everything is a symptom but it means that everything might reveal itself to be a symptom um so you have that's why the analyst will always ask why really it why you know why were you, why you're in traffic you got delayed tell me about that like and they'll analyze yeah. it but it doesn't mean that there always is a psychological reason
0: yeah isn't that why people love the hermeneutics in the humanities because you just interpret everything it's all interpretation constantly even though it used to be just the scholar or just the scholastic like Religious texts,
1: isn't that? Oh, tell me I where that was-
0: there? Like hermeneutics, technically, is the interpretation of like sacred or religious texts. But in, oh, yes. my understanding is that they broaden it and basically go anything is up for interpretation. Human behavior itself is up for interpretation.
1: Yes. Yeah, so yeah, the hermeneutics that's right was a biblical discipline. as a Del Del Deltoy or something? It was the
0: original? that's a long time ago.
1: But you're exactly right. And the biblical. Scholarship and the biblical hermeneutics became kind of universalized, and uh, you know, to the point with someone like Derry that everything is a text that that we yeah. interpret. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: I've been enjoying. I think I told you a little bit about Dan McClelland and his Bible scholarliness, but um, he oh, kind of yeah. takes the fun out of a lot of the um, like interpretive stuff because it's so scholarly and it's so like, yes. no, actually, this is what it technically is, and it's like, oh, this is such an interesting. And needed an uh, angle to come at it from, but I also like the other angles when Jung is like talking about Answer to Job and and interpreting it through his lens. I think it's uh, yeah. both are good and and needed. But he's very good about being like, no, everything is an interpretation. We're all bringing a different interpretation to the Bible, yeah. negotiating with it. I think that's fun. Anyway, the one the one uh,
1: the one thing about him, the one thing about him. See what you think about this. Is um, I always think he's bringing a machine gun to a knife fight you know like uh there's there's these youtubers who are like um uh, scientists there may be there may be bio there may be geographers or there may be physicists and they they create youtube channels showing how flat earthers are wrong and it's very entertaining to watch but it feels like you're you're a physicist kind of like proving that a flat earther is wrong so with your man is it mcclennan yeah mcclennan yeah he, i i do enjoy mcclennan yeah um Sometimes he is kind of like you have somebody who says like the Bible has a secret code that says Trump yeah. <laughs> will be president. And then he comes in and gives this five minute reason why that's not the case. And I'm like, well, like, I don't like need you to be a biblical that. scholar.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Dan. I, I,
1: yeah. Thanks. Although I, I guess in defense of him, he's doing it as a, as a sly way to do biblical teaching. So he uses like a, yeah. a popular way to say something, but it is funny when, you know, Oh, like the the antichrist is you know joe biden and it says that in genesis by using yeah. this code you go like okay you don't necessarily need to have a phd in biblical scholarship to to uh yep. to think that that might be dodgy
0: yeah it's that and it's like there's a whole gaggle of people that are like we discovered the ark this guy discovered the ark <laughs> <And they're> constantly <laughs> discovering the ark and every time being like dude i don't think they got it i don't think they have the ark uh, I think, anyway. you
1: know, it's it's part of that. Um, there's a trend, obviously, uh, that we all love, is you know, such and such destroys such and such on these YouTube channels. You know, that's it's we like to see people crushed, and I wonder if it's because reality is so much more nuanced that it's lovely to see a position that's that's kind of silly be absolutely crushed. I, I don't think it's a good thing for us, but I do I do wonder why, because there seems to be a libidinal enjoyment we get out of a position, that, a position that's often held by people who are struggling with psychosis. You know, some of these beliefs are like, you know, if they're really far right, you know, um, and then yeah. just kind of like crushing them. I don't know. There's a, I, I I like it as much as the next person, but I also, I also think there's something in it that we have to analyze it. It's a way of getting rid of anxiety. It's a defense mechanism, I think. So I don't know. No. Yeah.
0: I, um, I talk about that in my upcoming published peer-reviewed article, Pete, on the uh, language in internet videos of destroy and own and trigger and all that. And I compare it to the Apollo, myth of Apollo, and how he had a, entered into a contest with Marseille and uh, tricked Marseille, and basically they had to play their instruments, uh, their respective instruments, and whoever did it before the muses better got the honor of um, punishing the opponent however they wanted and so then they start playing it and Marseille is like killing it and uh and then Apollo is all jealous and he's like no I'm Apollo I'm a god I'm the god of music you can't do that and then so he's like uh why don't you flip your instrument upside down and I'll flip mine upside down and we'll see who can do it better this time only Marseille had a uh flute and, um, Apollo had a lyre, which you can flip upside down and still play, whereas a flute, you can't, or something, and so uh, basically, it ends up being that Marseille loses, and rather than, like, walk away from him, he fl- he fillets him alive and nails him to a tree. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I compare does. that to the triggering it and is. the owning, and the, like, because it's not, you're not just winning a debate, you have to own them. You have to completely yeah. destroy them. Um, anyway, yeah. Would you like to hear I mean, another piece of advice? Oh, well, no, yes, please. We'll say,
1: I'll, I'll jump in one last one last comment on that, is that it's more interesting sometimes, I find that if you take a position that seems absurd on the surface and find something valuable in it. So for example, let's say the moon landing, and that's not completely absurd. I think actually you can be a reasonable person and question that. So I don't think it's completely outside the realms of, rationality and i think it's sensible enough to discuss right um but let's say someone comes along so they don't believe that the americans landed on the moon then there's also really interesting things about well do governments lie uh were there political reasons why they might want to cover that kind of stuff up is propaganda used by governments like do and you kind of go you start going well actually it's probably good to, to question in that way. And while you look at the evidence and I think come to the conclusion, you know, I've looked at, it. you know, the, the evidence is there that we did it or the Americans did it, um, that I also on a soundstage. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I, yeah. I also find a way to um, uh, kind of find something valuable in what the others say and like genuinely valuable, something that, that actually is a challenge to me who maybe has too much credulity to you know say whatever nasa says so that and i think that can often actually also create more knowledge it's not even just a nice thing i think it is a nice thing to do i think it's an ethical thing to do but it's not about ethics for me it's also about going when you do that you generally learn more and so does the other person and things move forward so i think i that's why again i love even the fact we're called the fundamentalists but it's a playful kind of thing of going like you can learn from flat flat earthers. There's something to learn there yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, anyway, so that was the, the last thought.
0: I was really taken aback on September 11th this year when I got on um, Twitter, or X as it now is called, and I found a large number of people who were... Um, Really conspiracy. I mean, obviously, you're going to find a lot of people who are conspiracy theorists on the internet, period. But the amount of like, it seemed overwhelming uh, of people who are talking about how 9 11 was an inside job and um, all that stuff and building seven and, you know, why did building seven, and there's all these explanations that make total sense when you watch them and you're like, okay, yeah, this, I don't believe this is a conspiracy theory. But the amount of people who are like, it's interesting because I'm old enough to remember 9 11 and i'm now like a lot of the people i think aren't old enough to remember 9-11 and these like are like younger people who are adopting a kind of conspiratorial view on it and i think that's that was like whoa this is crazy like this is happening in real time right now anyway. mm-hmm. yeah yeah um all right you ready for another help, self-help now that we've covered nine yeah. eleven and the moon landing all right so get smart goals pete define specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound goals to give your life direction. Now, this is number one on the list of self-help advice. I think it is an incredibly good piece of advice. I don't tend to follow it very well, but it is something I like to think about pretty often. What do you think, Pete?
1: Yeah, so give me it again. It's about it's, well, set, achievable, realistic, short-term goals. Sorry, what's that? Or say it again?
0: Close, so it's, the acronym is SMART, and so it's oh. Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant, and Time-Bound Goals to Give Your Life Direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, you, you right, okay,
1: okay. I, Well, I'm okay with it, but I'll say probably what I said before, but in a different way, or I'll try to add to it, right? So again, that's good advice. Uh, a question but I think we have to ask ourselves when we come to a piece of advice like that is do i enjoy not being able to do that do i get a secret enjoyment out of not being able to set specific goals to achieve them to to do that so because again if i'm a healthy just if everything's normal in my life i can i can be smart i can set those goals i can do those things if if i'm having to read a book or talk to ChatGPT and have someone tell me that, uh, I would start to ask myself, is there something in me that doesn't want to do that? For example, uh, am I protesting against my family, my parents? My parents always wanted me to achieve things. They always wanted me to have goals and do certain things. And unconsciously, I'm protesting against that. And and until I realize that and until I see it and until I see that I'm enjoying uh, sticking my finger up up against my parents and protesting them until I see that unconscious enjoyment, um, I won't be able to achieve that goal. So, again, it's not that the advice is bad. It's that if you can't do it, I'm like, is there a secret enjoyment you're getting from your self-sabotage?
0: Do you think there's also a sense of enjoyment just from reading self-help stuff? I know back in the day I would get like the satisfaction of reading a self-help book is half the battle of doing it. And it's like, oh, I feel, I I read it. I know what to do. And then I don't have to do it.
1: Yeah. And here I'll say something interesting about, this is about moving from A to B, right? So (laughs) self-help, you know, maybe one of the, one of the enjoyments about self-help is, is you're you're looking at yourself but you're you're you've got your eye on future self, right? You've you've got your current self that you're dissatisfied oh, in that hate,
0: yeah you oh, feel awful
1: yeah you feel Terrible. kind of an imposter you feel yeah not good and so you're reading self help to become something better to become someone better and there's some enjoyment in that and in maybe fantasizing that future self and 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 keeping your eye on that. What happens in therapy as you know is instead of focusing on this future idealized self, this better self, and sometimes it's the author of the book, you know, they're your ideal image. There's this person, they're successful in music or in business or whatever. I want to be like them. So you've got an idealized image of yourself. Instead of that, uh, the challenge is to actually confront your own dislike of yourself and your own dissatisfaction. And uh, so, and, and, rather than get the enjoyment out of kind of looking at your future self is you have to do the hard work of doing nothing just having grace for yourself and go I'm going to look at myself and see and see all of my disappointments and all of my aggressions and all of my fixations and I'm just going to try and see if they tell me something I mean that's key for me is what is your symptom Say to you. Uh, Lacan used the old French term Saint-Homme to describe symptom. There's a special type of symptom called a Santom. And Santom in French sounds exactly like holy man, Santom, holy man. And so, in a way, you can think of your symptom as a, a prophet that's telling you a truth. And if you ignore the prophet, right, disaster will befall you. But if you listen to the Santom, if you listen to your symptom, uh it'll speak a truth about your enjoyment and your your life and that truth
0: can set you free so yeah wow that's really nice peep that's really good you should write a self-help book (laughs)
1: it's
0: really nice Uh, here's the Uh, other thing about
1: this oh yeah there's there's actually a self-help book that i quite liked um it's uh there's a book it was was a guy called joseph burgo i think called why do i do that and it is it's a book that just defines various defense mechanisms that people use. They might use to displacement, putting anger from the past onto somebody else, or they might use denial or reaction formation where you kind of do the, you know, if you're very unsure of yourself, you project confidence uh you hate yourself you project love you know reaction formation is is actually the true emotions hidden behind the opposite so it kind of goes through all of these defenses and all it does is it asks you to consider what your defense mechanisms are and what they might be hiding and so that's a kind of i suppose that's a kind of self-help book i like but again it's not about getting you from a to b it's about helping you to look at the defenses you have and try to look at what lies behind them, uh, and that that can be a kind of productive transformational it's like
0: thing. A, it's like a deepening into. You deep. You just go a little further into that, into that sad dissatisfaction <laughs> that you have, and just wallow, and just treat it like a little bath, and get in there. It doesn't matter what appointments you have that day. It doesn't matter if you're going to completely space. Just get in with your rubber ducky, and deepen into the symptoms that you have you don't need anybody else you don't need the therapist is that what you're saying
1: well the last (laughs) bit no definitely not the rubber ducky yes the bath yes yes absolutely Um, the the trick for me and the reason why you need a therapist or somebody you need somebody who is that i would argue and the psychoanalysis argues this that in order to see yourself you need to be reflected off somebody else so yeah for example, slips of the tongue. You don't notice your own slips. There's a, there's a, whenever you're speaking, there's, certain, there's a certain dimension of yourself that you do not see. But if someone is trained to keep an eye on those things, uh, then uh, you can see something. So for example, actually something that happened in my analysis last week uh, is I had a dream. And after the dream, I was asked to free associate on the dream and I couldn't free associate. I'm very bad at free association, right? My mind was blank and I was like, I'm really bad at free association. And the analyst was like, that's an interesting association because that was a free association. Like so I had the dream and then I said, I'm bad at free association. Right, so. He's saying that I'm bad at free association is a free association because it basically was the first thing that comes to mind. And the first thing that came to my mind after the dream was I'm bad at free association. Uh, and then this. I suck at this. And then that kind of opened up something that I wouldn't have seen. Because if I'd said that in a regular, you know, conversational, oh, you know, have this dream, I'm really bad at free association, so whatever, that would go past. But the analyst just made one comment. That's an interesting free association and it opened up. So you having another person who is, who is able to reflect back to you a type of speech that you're saying, but that you don't realize you're saying is very productive.
0: Very nice. Um, now this one, Pete, I think you're going to love, this is my absolute favorite one. And then we're going to get into actually the ones that I do like, which is um, all based on Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Fifth Agreement. Um, and that'll be a fun, we're going to blow through the agreements in just a moment. But before okay. that, um, develop positive affirmations. Now, this is tied to what you're just talking about, Pete, with the idea that you maybe are not so good at free associations. So why don't you start looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, I am good at free associations. Mm-hmm. See what happens. Yes. I am lovable. Deal. I am good. <laughs>
1: um, well, That's you know, not getting yeah. carried away, but yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've often found this one interesting because very few, there's some types of counseling, of course, that do this, but in terms of proper psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, you have to go, why do they not do this? If it's effective, why, why do they not say, you know, Look in the mirror, say positive affirmations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the reason is because um, it's almost this is precisely what repression is. Repression is a mechanism for neurotics that when you're young, something unpleasant, uh, you do you want to ignore, so you get rid of it, you push it down. And for Freud, his initial reflection on repression is the affect, the kind of emotion and the thought get disconnected. You push it down. The thoughts can go away, but the affect remains. So the affect connects to something else. So, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, your mother is very domineering and whatever, and you're really angry at her. You push that thought down. The anger remains and now it sticks to something else. It sticks to your partner so you're angry yeah. at them even when they don't do anything wrong because the affect still exists but the thought's been repressed the other side can happen as well where you have then the thought of something where you can talk about some abuse that happened to you when you were young and have no emotion about it at all but then you watch an advert about some little puppy and you burst into tears right so again mm. the affect and the thought have been disconnected so In one sense, this positive affirmation thing is a replaying of our most basic defense mechanism, which is push away the the bad thoughts. And if that worked, it would be great. But the way, as I say, Freud, I think, really was discovered and showed that what happens is, yes, you'll get rid of the negative thoughts, so you'll literally be walking around. And I know people like this, they walk around, and they, they say, I don't like being around toxic people, and I have positive thoughts, and they... They fill themselves with positive affirmations. But you can see the affect. It's coming out somewhere with an extreme explosion of anger at somebody or extreme emotional sadness at, at, at something seemingly insignificant because they've successfully pushed the thoughts out of their mind. But the affects now free float and attach themselves like parasites onto other things that's one yeah. reason there's lots of reasons too but that would be that would be my first thought is you yes, you'll succeed in pushing the negative thoughts down but you won't succeed in getting rid of the affect
0: yeah it's a very it's yeah. um flipping off the uh what the check engine light rather than um seeing what's going on <laughs> yes that's, that's, that's a
1: brilliant yeah that's a brilliant analogy and because then and, and then the alternative is you work through it you work through the night thoughts so you go actually I'm really angry at my mother or my father or my siblings um i that and you you work through it with with your analyst and part of that might be realizing that the anger was misplaced and but you can only get there once you kind of go through it and once you fight it through and replay it with the analyst who becomes a stand-in for your father or your sister or your brother or your mother um, but it's almost like it's almost like a play that you have to You have to recreate, you have to recreate the scene and work through it and almost reconnect the affect to the thought, work through the thought, and hopefully find freedom that way.
0: And you become a little more of a human. It seems nice. Um, Because I feel like a lot of times this stuff just makes you kind of a shell of a person or it makes you, it makes you can a little bit make you more of a boring um, uh, person. Mm -hmm. Because like when people are just like, I'm just going to say positive things and I'm only going to, it's like they, they come off to me very rigid. Like they're, they're still, and it it goes to show, I mean, that makes sense given that it's literally like just performing the act of repression when you're doing that constantly, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, And
1: and what you might find, like I find this anecdotally, but it, it makes sense from the Freudian perspective is that, that if you do that, I say the affect doesn't go away so what you'll end up doing is just having more emotional responses and not know why the person will yeah. have so they'll feel good they'll they'll even go I feel like my thoughts are good and I feel good and I feel this but then they will have emotional affects and literally just go I don't know why I'm feeling like that. I don't know why I'm responding to that because they've been so successful in repression, so successful in detaching the thought from the affect. Um, and so that can even be distressing.
0: I, um, because I've, uh, my, this year has been marked by some health issues in my, uh, household with my wife. I have found an increase in my, um, uh, or I guess a decrease in how long my fuse is in traffic. And I've noticed that I will uh, become like really angry uh, out of nowhere and have that kind of, and I was thinking about it last time it was happening and I was like, why am I so pissed off about this? And why is it so, why is it happening more frequently right now? And I was like, Oh, it's cause it's, there's a stress happening at home that I keep everything cool and like calm for, and then out on the road when there's like some perceived sense of injustice, it all goes out the window and I become like uh, – even if I don't act on it, it's like this feeling of just like a ball of anger. And I'm like, oh, this is – this is because this is all – it's all fine. It is what it is.
1: Yeah, and that's displacement. Yeah, exactly. That you're taking an anger and an affect from one place – and you're putting it somewhere else. And the, the thing about yeah. every defense, which is important, I think, to say, because it, it can sound like they're negative. And the only thing, they're, they're not positive or negative in themselves. So for example, if you're a new mother and your child is crying and waking you up all the time, you cannot be angry at the child. Like you can't take your anger out at the child, right? They're very helpless. So you might shout at your partner. And that's a displacement, but it's also an acceptable displacement. Your partner will go, I know that you're just, you know, tired and frustrated, exhausted, and so in a way you go like, I'll hold that displacement. And then of course the person, if you're able to contain that and take it on, the other person will, you know, within an hour or two go, hey, by the way, I'm really sorry. I'm just exhausted, and I took it out on you. So, th- you know, what happened to you in the in the traffic is like that's kind of like um, that's a healthy form of defense where you can actually show your anger in the safety of your car be pissed off at a driver and as long as it doesn't become road rage you know which is where it becomes mentally ill but then it's a, it's almost like you have to be able to express that emotion but you might not be able to express that emotion kind of in the context in which it is it arises you
0: know? yeah totally um I was uh, I was thinking about the because in the, the union frame it's complexes. And they say the same thing, that the complexes are, like, neither good nor bad, but they're usually just trying to protect you. Like, there's some sort Mm -hmm. of wound, some scar that's attempting to protect your fragile, hurt ego from being hurt again. And uh, it's the same thing where, like, you're not going to cure it. Like, you don't get rid of it. You're not going to, like, get rid of any complex that you have because they're so ingrained in you. Um, But you can learn to live with them, I guess, is the, the general, like, idea Yeah, Um, and on that,
1: oh, can I jump in on that one? Because I think that's really insightful what you said. And it's that this is the idea that, you know, if someone's, say, an alcoholic or something like that, instead of trying to fix the alcoholism, the, the first step is often to admit, you know, you're an alcoholic, and then to ask yourself, what is this the solution to? Not the alcoholism is the problem. The alcoholism is the solution to a problem. And what, the, what what is that problem that this is a solution to And maybe it's in terms of a real dissatisfaction with one's life, one's job, one's relationship, some some issue from the past, from pa- parental upbringing. And once you begin to ask that question, so again, in, in self-help, not all self-help, but in some self-help, you see a problem, right? And you go like, uh, I, I just can't have, I don't have any motivation. I don't have any motivation. I'm just, I feel emotionally dead and and you read some self-help to get you to be you know to achieve more but sometimes that deadness that you feel is the solution to a problem it's maybe there's some deep emotion and deep pain and that defense of numbness is kind of defending and what you actually have to ask yourself exactly what you're saying with the complexes is is what is this the solution to and and in analysis, the idea is that when you begin to unravel that question, change becomes possible, but but only when you realize that often your suffering is, as you said, the solution to a problem, yeah. almost to something worse. Like whenever you think that there's someone in the cupboard at night or there's somebody under your bed, that terror of this presence um, is often covering over the terror of some over proximity of someone from your past, right. That's even worse. So it's, it's easy to say there's a stranger in the cupboard than, you know, than what, whatever it is that's covering over.
0: Very nice. I was thinking about the, a very popular idea nowadays that, Freud was dealing with hysterics, Jung was dealing with schizophrenics, and now what we're dealing with is numbness. There's a sort of pathological numbness that everybody has. It's very uh, prevalent, and what is it defending as a defense mechanism? What's it trying to to do? Uh, It's all fun Fun stuff to think about. Now, speaking of other fun things to think about, have you ever heard of Don Miguel Ruiz, Pete? Don Miguel... who? Excuse me, Don Jose Ruiz. Yeah, Don Miguel wrote nope. is his. Oh, yeah, nope, nope. Tell me about him. This is classic. This is one of the better-selling self-help books. There's the Four Agreements and he did a sequel called The Fifth Agreement, which is the one I have read. I'm curious how many of these I will agree with still because when I first read it, I thought this is absolutely genius, and I still believe it's one of the better um self-help things however it does do the thing where it's like if you follow these things you're going to be happy and peaceful for the rest of your life and there's nothing anybody can do except what the agreements are it is relatively i believe difficult to maintain so here's the agreements be impeccable with your word don't take anything personally don't make assumptions always do your best that was a cute one and be skeptical but learn to listen so here's my thoughts on that pete one um freudian slip shows you can't really be impeccable with your word in general right i mean it's impossible for yep. anybody to be impeccable with their word even if they're trying to but i get the idea to be honest if you be honest you always have a leg to stand on that's really beautiful and that's good advice Don't take anything personally. Well, I would love to do that. I would love to do that, Pete. I would love to get cut off in traffic and not take it personally. But that's not the case because I'm pretty sure it is personal and I'm going to let the person know about it uh, if I see them, if I can, when I zoom up past them. Always do your best. No, thank you. Don't make assumptions. That's a good one. Don't make assumptions. Obviously, you can't help yourself from doing that, and then be skeptical, but learn to listen. Be skeptical, but learn to listen. I think you're really good at Pete. I think you're very good at that when it comes to things like the um, your flat Earth buddies and your your moon landing denialists. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, okay, these are great. Let's let's let's
0: dive into them. Um, mm.
1: okay, so um, okay, so we'll start with the first one then, which was always be impeccable with your words. Right. impeccable with your word yeah with which means in a sense is he talking about honesty clarity uh mm-hmm. uh maintain being honorable keeping your promises is that yes and, be, be, yeah, and these
0: are my understanding is these are in order so that you as long as you're being very honest you can then move on to not taking things personally but you, you just it doesn't mean you're saying nice things it doesn't mean that you're saying positive affirmations. It means that you are, as to the best of your ability, being honest and soberly assessing and everything and not lying, mm-hmm. I guess.
1: Yes. I mean, like, you know, I do want to nitpick. There's a couple, I think, as we go on that I'll have more to say about. I do think you said something very interesting there, which is, like, is there a sense in which uh, dishonesty or miscommunication is an inherent part of language right and i i do think that like that that the difference between language and communication is that communication can be clear concise uh and communicates what it wants to communicate so computer code is communication animals communicate but when you get to language uh language is slippery it's always open to both m- making un- understanding and misunderstanding. It's not all misunderstanding, but it's not all understanding. There's a certain sense in which we can never say everything we want to say. We can never say what we want to say absolutely. And anybody knows this who's a speaker, who's a writer. You write an article and you go, I didn't quite say it. You you you, you do a, a talk, you go, oh, I could have said it better. And the, the sense in which language is always is always uh got some sort of misunderstanding and dishonesty within it is actually what keeps it going so you know i, I just i worry that when people give themselves over to these pieces of advice then they might um it's impossible it's an impossible piece of advice <laughs>
0: yes sir. um yeah uh, that's the biggest thing i think is it's totally impossible um mm-hmm. don't take anything personally what do you think about that one Pete
1: Yeah, I mean, I I quite like this idea in that. But for me, well, here's what I would say. I would say whenever whenever you take something personally, ask yourself why, right? So that's the first thing, because I think like we all take certain, there's certain things that push our buttons, right? We all have certain things that push our buttons. And for me, the big thing to do is to take cognizance of that. Whenever something somebody says really pisses you off, and especially if it doesn't piss other people off, right? It pisses you off, but other people are fine about it. Then you ask yourself, Does that, is that is that me? Is that something I do? Am I pissed off with them because actually they're reflecting the part of me that I don't like? Because sometimes we take the bits of ourselves we don't like, we put them onto somebody else, and then we judge them for it. Now, I think if you do that, You will take less things personally. I think it's good to take some things, but if someone kills my dog, I'm going to take it personally. (laughs) So, and that's okay. But I know, yeah, but I know he doesn't mean that, you know, so I'm not taking the piss there. But I'm more saying that I think, in order to maybe do what he's talking about, and he might agree with this, in order to not take things personally, the first step is simply to be gracious with yourself. So, don't tell yourself not to take things personally. Be gracious with yourself and say, I'm going to take things personally. That's okay, but what I yeah. need to do is I need to ask why. I say
0: 100%. Take it personally. Take everything mm. so personally until you get exhausted and it doesn't like sting anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a desensitization. Complete desen. Yeah, emer- uh, <laughs> yeah. What is what's the term? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how anybody cannot not take anything personally, but I also know uh, I've seen people who who will say they don't take things personally, uh, but boy, do they. And then there's other people who really, like, nothing gets to them. And you got to wonder what's going on. Yeah, Would I have you a friend. Say you take yeah. Most... yeah, where well, are you at on this spectrum?
1: Well, I was going to say, I've got a friend, James. We play, there's a group of us always play poker. And that guy is unflappable because around the poker table, usually after a few drinks, people often say terrible things to each other sometimes. And James just uses it as an opportunity to, to, to find something humorous. But no matter how much he's attacked and ridiculed and mocked, and we do <laughs> mock him and we do ridicule him, he is invincible. We are cruel. <laughs> we are cruel. Um, and I think of myself as not taking much personally. But then out of the blue, somebody will say something and it will hit me. Yeah. And, you know, so I think we all think that. We all think, oh, I don't take things personally. But then there's something hits you and yeah and i think the best thing is just if you're able to take a beat and go whoa why did i respond to that you know why did i is and and the sad thing is going is there some weird truth not not necessarily in exactly what they say but there's something in Mm -hmm. that 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 i reacted against yeah
0: yeah something fits it um it reminds me of that time you got mad at me because i complimented you and i was like a Puppy going, what do you remember that? We were at Brickyard. Too
1: vaguely, what happened? To-
0: <laughs> I said you were that? deserving of love or something. I was like, We're gonna get you in love, Pete. You deserve love and you were like not having I was like, Whoa, I hit some kind of like that dude is not read Don Miguel Ruiz.
1: <laughs> that's right that's my one trigger point if someone's nice to me
0: <laughs> do <laughs> like, not like oh <laughs> uh, this guy needs to go sit in a bath um don't make assumptions uh don't make assumptions i think it's kind of the same thing as being impeccable with your word right like you can't really do it it's impossible
1: yeah and yeah because i did once go to a uh I was it was like a drug retreat uh, a friend of mine was having and i was there uh, listening to this shaman give a talk before the 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 medicine, what they call it uh, there, um, and um, <laughs> uh, they were saying how she was saying how you know you take this enough and you you will make less assumptions about the world and make less judgments about the world and and have a wider you know appreciation of things and be able to do more things and it was interesting but. I was thinking about how th- there's a reason why you know there's we ass- assumptions have certain social utility that allow us to function. Like we make certain assumptions, like you know, silly things, like you know if I lock the door, it's locked and will remain locked until I come back, or you know if I yeah. park the car around. The- so we make, but we make a million assumptions every day that allow us actually to function socially uh, when we get too tied up in assumptions and we get too neurotic about them. And that's really difficult. But if you're, if you're going through a, a, some sort of psychosis where you don't feel the assumptions, where you, I don't have any sense of social constraint that also can cause problems. So I, but I, I mean, I don't want, I feel like I'm totally feel like I'm nitpicking. Like what you tell me, what does he mean by that? That's a better thing. I'm assuming that I know what he means by it. And I shouldn't assume that. So tell me what, what does he mean by don't make assumptions?
0: He wins again. Um, Yes. (laughs) I think (laughs) you got it. I mean, I think it's like, don't make, I think it's you, you write. um, I believe the image he uses is the movie theater. Um, uh you're in a a you need to step step back remember that that you're writing a script in your head and don't write scripts in your head about people's ulterior motives people sort of you you fancy you fantasy about people all the time and i think that's what we start just yeah don't make assumptions about yeah. uh, about yeah. what other people's motivations are because it's a waste of your time this one i actually think is pretty good because I, I don't think anybody can do it, but I do think you can get pretty good at it and life becomes a lot easier when you stop trying to like, when you just take people at face value and you're like, all right, that's really, yeah. okay, great. And you just go from there because most people I don't think are conniving and lying constantly. So it makes okay, it well, for a more peaceful life.
1: Yeah, well, what do you think of this then? If Because I rewrote the other one. What was the other one I, I, I said? Uh, beware of your, uh, 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 what was it? Uh, it was, uh, don't, I've
0: already forgotten. Don't take anything personally, but if you do ask... Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yes. Like Whereas I was saying, you yeah, beware whenever you take something personally. Think it through, reflect on it, ask a friend. Why do you think I take this personally and, and work through it? Don't repress it. In the same way, I'd go, I'd, I'd maybe say not don't make assumptions, but rather be aware of your assumptions. Like be Yeah, pay attention. I, yeah, pay attention to your assumptions. Because I think science progresses precisely because an individual questions and assumption, things fall to the ground and Newton goes, why? That's just, we all assume it. We all just take that for granted, but then someone doesn't and they ask themselves why. So again, because I don't like don'ts very much, I don't think don'ts work. And In fact, if they did work, I would be all for them. But I think the more you say, don't do something, the more unconsciously the person wants to do it. I mean, we see this with kids. Don't open that box when I leave the room. I mean, any parent, can do that experiment and see what happens you know like the kid yeah. hasn't even noticed the box and as soon as you say "Now, whatever you do i'm going to leave the room for five minutes and don't don't look in that box don't go near it right it's like even if they don't they suddenly are libidinally invested in the box so i think and this is a very biblical notion the more you try not to do something the more you want to do it this and idea so grace is always the thing of taking away the prohibition but helping you see yourself. So instead of saying, don't assume, maybe it's going, beware of your assumptions and then ask yourself, are those assumptions right? Uh, Can you question them? And you you don't do it with every assumption, but I think, again, it's just being more aware of how you navigate the world. So that's maybe how I would rewrite that one.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's like being really more engaged constantly, paying attention to what's going on, diving almost deepening into it like into a nice warm bath yes
1: i can i give you an example actually a friend of mine recently she uh friend she was um terrified of spiders absolutely terrified she's been terrified of spiders all her life and she's in her uh 30s now and all her adult life being terrified of spiders and she could do things like desensitization all of that but anyway one day she had a dream and she told me about this dream. She said, I had a dream about spiders. And between the two of us, we sat down and we talked the dream through, free associated with it, looked at all of the symbols and we talked about it and we connected it with some, with her father and, and all of this stuff mm-hmm. happened. So that's all that happened. We did we 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 did this interesting discussion about the dream. Anyway, six months later, just very recently, she texts me and she says, Pete, I woke up and there was a spider across crawling across me and didn't bother me at all. And again, a few weeks ago, she told me that she killed a spider in her house. These are things she could never have done before. Now, the, the weird thing was she didn't have to desensitize herself, get close to spiders, watch TV programs about them or anything like that. All, all we did was we symbolized, uh, we talked about a dream, spiders. We don't even know. I can't even remember what insight we had, but the very talking about the dream uh, uh, dissolved the symptom. And that's a similar thing. Like if you go to analysis, if you have say a sexual inhibition, and you just, the sexual inhibition, you can't say have sexual intercourse, you can't sexualize sex. Um, And then you go to an analyst to, to kind of dissolve that symptom, you go like, this is a problem in my relationships. And then the analyst is talking about your dreams and your fantasies and your relationship with your parents and you might initially go i'm here because i have a problem with the sexual inhibition but then weirdly if the analysis works through doing all of this other stuff without even realizing it the inhibition begins to dissolve away or it becomes less of a suffering to you. You begin to enjoy it. So, you know, it, it can happen in a number of ways. But it's, again, this weird thing of it's not directly going do or don't or directly addressing the symptom. Again, weirdly, as you said, it's it's about becoming aware of yourself, becoming aware of your unconscious, symbolizing something, kind of putting more and more of yourself into the symbolic, this, is in and of itself transformative
0: very nice um you should have told her to burn her house down uh i don't know how anybody <laughs> if, if i wake up and a spider is crawling on me and i don't react in some way i think i will have gone too far in my analysis or in my mental health journey i think that that's yeah that'll be my tell of like okay i'm gonna pump the brakes here because i i want to not I will take that personally. When a here, we're, we're letting approaches. guys down here. You, you're
1: you scared of spiders, and I take baths. This is embarrassing to both of us.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you why I'm scared of spiders. They're scary-looking. Um, <laughs> and they they gave me the heebie-jeebies. James Hillman has a really nice talk called On Bugs. or are going bugs, and it's all about this bug symbolism and the spider being the you know he kind of makes fun of like the union thing of like the spiders the devouring mother and it's shaped like a mandala and all this stuff and uh and then at some point he's just like no we just we're, we're disgusted by bugs where it's like a universal thing. <laughs> uh, well not universal but in in our culture um yeah I, anyway, some people eat uh, bugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly you know people are different um now here's the last one pete and we'll, we'll wrap it up after this Be skeptical, but learn to listen. Now, this is one he felt necessary to add. He felt that the top four, there's one still wasn't done. Now, I think four is a rounder number, um, but five is fine. Um, What do you think about that? Be skeptical, but learn to listen.
1: I mean, it's it's a nice kind of. I, I guess right it's not a, it's a nice piece of general advice I don't want to sound like an asshole and be attacking everything but I do I won't and take I'm a sure person. yes and I'm sure he you know he will expand on this but of course there's certain things to be skeptical of and certain things not to be you know when you fall in love skepticism is not probably appropriate it's not even appropriate It's not even the right word it doesn't and it's the heart has reason yeah. that reason does not know as pascal says uh, we also we believe that when we close our eyes, the world doesn't disappear. Now, that sounds silly to say, but actually, again, some people struggle with these ideas. They struggle and they think that reality is a fiction or they well, which is an interesting philosophical point, you know, yeah. so but but, you know, there's certain things that what uh, there's a thing called reform epistemology calls properly basic beliefs, but are there beliefs that it's it's proper not to be skeptical about. Now again, I don't want to pick holes because I think in general it's it's sure. a question but but that's the problem with these these phrases is actually I could think of I could probably think of half a dozen things that you know skepticism is potentially not the most appropriate response to, you know if a, if a friend makes a promise to you, um, you know, there's times where you have to take the risk of being, uh credulous and of of believing and having belief so but as a general rule of thumb yeah why not what (laughs) do you you say
0: well i'm curious if you feel like when it comes to i don't know ufology do you Hmm. feel that you are both skeptical and you have learned to listen to the undeniable evidence in favor of <laughs> non-human intelligence, do you believe that you are still leading with the skepticism, and perhaps too much?
1: That's a good question. I, in terms of it's the UFO really stuff,
0: really not a good uh, question.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it is because you, you know, you're you're definitely poking on saying like, well, Pete, we all know that you are pretty skeptical about the UFO uh, things, but you know, but am it. I? Yes, check me. It. But am I? Is there the question is is there uh, uh, have I got uh, an evidentialist approach i.e. is there evidence that would convince me and I, and I think yes yes if there's cert- there's definitely I would say evidence that would convince me because I do believe that it is likely that there is well I do believe that life is almost definitely all through the universe in fact I believe the best theory for life is that, and this sounds strange at first, but that life began relatively early in the universe, about 17, I think maybe million years after the big bang, there was these perfect conditions where water could exist, where it, there was, it was the perfect mm-hmm. temperature for life. And potentially uh, at that time, that says 70 million 17 million years, I'm probably wrong in that, but whatever, very, very early on in the, the birth of the universe, the conditions for life, where existed everywhere existed everywhere in the universe and and then probably genomes Mm -hmm. the genome was probably formed then and then went into hibernation for billions of years and when it found planets that were habitable uh that evolution could continue and the reason why i think that is because i don't think the genome could have evolved as quickly as it did on planet earth like i think there are problems with how quickly life developed on planet earth that can only really be solved if you go life actually started way way before that so i am more skeptical of intelligent life actually i think intelligent life might be quite rare in the universe in life that has got to the point where it can have self-consciousness and develop highly advanced technologies And then the one that I'm most skeptical of is the idea that that life that does exist might be so far away that we will just never encounter it. But still I'm open to, I'm open. If you can give me the evidence, I'll, I will, I will look at it.
0: That's fair. That's a fair, um, all those claims are fair. I think the word is panspermia. I think is what that's called when the life form originates elsewhere. Um, And then there's directed panspermia, which was an idea that, um, i believe francis crick came up with of watson and crick the one of the two discoverers of the double helix and yeah he postulated that we could figure out uh the origins of the universe if we put a bunch of pallets of like embryos on a spaceship and just sent them into um orbit for hundreds of years until they landed on a planet and were able to grow organically so that would be like us sort of showing that it's possible it was a weird guy that's
1: yeah, and the reason why I think they're on something there is because I think mathematically, and this is where creationists you know have an interesting point. Is some there's a guy Lennox actually from Northern Ireland and a, but he kind of shows that mathematically it seems literally basically almost impossible that life would have evolved as quickly as it did on the planet, but that yeah. does get answered if you go about 17 million years after the big bang, life actually could have evolved at any point in the universe. Then I think the mathematics works. But anyway, but I... I, Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um,
0: Oh, yeah, but you showed me evidence, which is
1: those little mummies, those little mummy babies.
0: Exactly. Yeah, what more do you need?
1: I keep looking that up every now and again to see what people are saying. Has that been...
0: Yeah, he's he's still doubling down on it. Yeah. He's invited people from NASA and I think from like Harvard or something to come to go check out the um the bodies. And are they doing bodies. it? Are, are,
1: are NASA going to do it? Uh,
0: I can't imagine that anyone's <laughs> going to take the bait just because um, I don't believe anybody would want to risk their their careers and also that's not how you do it. Like I don't think you're supposed to just be like uh come look at this thing. Like there's like a process, right? With science, it's yeah. not just like book a flight but anyway um who knows maybe we'll we'll have egg on our face soon enough the important thing is to be skeptical but um but learn to listen so in terms of this episode pete i feel like we've really gone through a number of things and and really helped people from not getting help and i think that's yes (laughs) that's that's what we're all about here yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you want to close out in terms of self-help? Any, any self-help tips for folks that maybe we've skipped over um, for some reason?
1: Yeah. Well, to sum up what I'm kind of saying in a nutshell, it's like I think that the best way of changing is ironically to not try to change, but to try to look at yourself, ask yourself, why your symptoms might be the solution to certain problems. Try to see what they may be covering over. And as you're able to do that work, ideally with somebody else, you know, like a therapist of some kind, um, I think then change can happen. And actually then you can start to take the advice of self-help. So it's almost like it's like AA. First, you have to be in a space where you're accepted, where you can be honest, where you can kind of confront that you're an alcoholic and confront why you're an alcoholic, what enjoyment you get out of it. And then once you've really experienced that grace and you've, ex- you've been able to symbolize it, then the 12 steps can, can be helpful, but the 12 steps won't nice. be that helpful without step zero. What about yourself? Our
0: symptoms? Our symptoms are angels, uh, with messages from the divine inside of them is the kernel of um, emancipation, but in order to reach it, one must dive fully into the symptom in order to, uh, I believe Jung says, drink it down to the dregs, which I don't really know what that means, but I like saying it.
1: Wow, Did, was, was that all Jung? Because that was a very nice quote, or was this some of that you?
0: no that was some of me i like to add a little razzle dazzle myself sometimes <laughs> well, this
1: guy sounds very good man i really like that thank you <laughs> I
0: really yeah, like yeah. That. no i think yeah. it is I, uh, hillman talks about the i like symptoms as angels so it's a nice way to think about it um anyway uh folks if you want to leave us a review on itunes it would help us a lot and you can also go to patreon.com slash fundamentalist just because it helps support the podcast and we appreciate you guys listening sharing this telling your friends about it tweeting at us uh and messaging us if you have stuff you want us to cover feel free to reach out in whatever way uh you fancy um pete anything you would like to mention i I wish you the best of luck on your retreat and i hope you you do a wonderful uh i hope you have a wonderful time
1: thank you appreciate it all right take care all right bye bye